Yo, 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 we vote for Zoe. Erin is a self-proclaimed authenticity expert who stopped subscribing to the bullshit a long time ago. A two-time survivor of sexual violence, she knows that in order to find true happiness, you've got to do some work on yourself for yourself. Jenna battled anorexia for 11 years with many ups and downs. She is currently working to find true recovery and sharing her journey along the way. Finding authenticity is all about being true to ourselves without having to apologize for it. So stay tuned for all the mental health, adulting, self-development, and day-to-day musings for us. And welcome to the Finding Authenticity podcast with Erin and Jen. Hello and welcome back to the Finding Authenticity podcast. It's Erin and Jen back again for another week and we've got a really special guest episode for you today. But before we get into that, we gotta do our check-ins. Jennifer, how you doing? Hello, my people. I am okay. I'm, I'm okay. You know, today is a good day. Yesterday was a not so good day. Day before that was a good day. Day before that was not so good day. So we on a rockin' roller coaster, okay? A rockin'. Rockin'. I was gonna say rockin' and fuckin' and they just rockin'. Came, came together. I was hoping that it would just, you know, freeze on pass out, but... Uh, absolutely not. You burped while I was trying to make an intro, so I'm coming back at you. Um, you did it first, but anyways, we're a mess. I interrupted myself. <laughs> but yeah i have been having some good days not some not so good days basically just kind of struggling with the state of the world a little bit and just you know my own shit not necessarily like eating disorder related but other mental health related just self-worth you know loneliness life what's my purpose all that fun fucking stuff so so like more regular things yeah yeah the past few times i've been on with my recovery coach we haven't really even talked about like eating disorder things it's been like life stuff which is actually kind of nice but yeah other than that things are pretty good i'm going to a cottage on the weekend i'm looking forward to that should be fun and sad also because then aaron and i won't see each other for like two weeks but you know i know it's heartbroken heartbroken heartbreaking i just cannot speak today at all it's okay i still love you thank you don't stroke my face, Pitch you weirdo. Usually we don't record beside you each other. You can't me! <laughs> oh, no. We should not record in the mornings. I think we're weirder. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and we're going to HomeSense today. Look oh at some God. fun fall aesthetic things. I'm it, looking forward to that. It's the beginning of August, but it's already fall in my heart. <laughs> you know, like, we gotta be prepared. Because, like, who knows? Maybe there'll be a spike in October, and then we won't be able to go to HomeSense. And that would be heartbreaking. That would be sad. I'm gonna do fall now. Yeah. It's <laughs> fall in my heart and at HomeSense, yeah, so. <laughs> that's all that matters. Pumpkin Spice comes out, too, and so we'll just have a whole fucking fall exposure. I don't like pumpkin spice, but it is a nice signal of fall. I don't want to, like, the weather is nice. Well, not today. It's very humid and hot. But I like the warmer weather. Mm-hmm. Me too. But I like the fall vibes. Yeah. I like, like, the fall aesthetic. And the activities. Although, I don't know how many of those activities. We could probably get pumpkins. Yeah, we can we can carve pumpkins. Yeah. Yeah, so things are pretty good with me. How are things with you? Still good. Um, starting my period soon, so I'm, like, a little up and down. Yeah, we've kind of been all over the place this week a little bit. 
think there was like something in the air here in Burlington yesterday because neither of us were having our best days. But I mean, mine was hormonal, so I like I know the reason for mine. Mine was just like mental health, so I didn't. That's I know the reason for mine too. <laughs> but yeah, I'm good. I mean, nothing overly exciting to report here. Um, other than the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna be hella busy. So for the first time since we've started this podcast, we're gonna have to do like real forward recordings yeah and for those of you who don't know because it's a pandemic and this podcast started at the beginning of the pandemic even though it's not a pandemic project we wanted to do it anyway we did it just gave us the time to do it yeah we just uh, it kind of fast forwarded it for us because neither of us were doing anything else so we were like okay well i guess we might as well dive right into this now (laughs) um but because of that we've been able to record like you know the week before which is nice for these check-ins But as I am busy with work and camping and Jen also starts doing more work and stuff, uh, it's going to be harder for us to do that every week. So we'll have to start like pre-recording and that's going to be so weird. It is. I don't really have anything really exciting to report. We're going to turn it over to our lovely guest conversation and Jen's going to tell you a little bit about her and then listen up. You're all going to love her. So Jen, tell us about Eden. All right, so this week we're talking to Eden, who is a food freedom coach who helps people stop emotional eating and heal their relationship to food. Throughout her life, Eden only had two modes when it came to food, completely in control, eating healthy and trying to lose weight, or completely out of control and powerless over food. After trying literally everything to fix her relationship to food and her body, she finally discovered that only addressing the root cause of her food issues would bring true and lasting relief. Now she works one-on-one with others to help them do the same. I freaking loved this conversation and I know Aaron did as well. You guys are going to love it too. Like Eden is an angel sent from heaven above. (laughs) She's such a sweetheart and we got into some really good deep conversations that I hope you guys really enjoy. Yeah. And even if you're not like one of those listeners that's really here for the food and eating disorder conversations we get into a lot of other like deep conversations so definitely take a good hard listen to this episode because it's a real good one yeah although we do talk about food and body and all that kind of stuff we talk about a lot of other things as well and really the deep-rooted issues behind those things so if you have issues with control or anything like that you will definitely relate to some of this episode so without further ado let's talk to eden All right. So Eden, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? All right. So I am a food freedom coach. So I basically work with women to help break them out of the diet and binge cycles. So most of the women I work with struggle with emotional eating, binge eating. um, And I basically help them to eat the foods that they would otherwise binge on or feel super out of control with without going out of control um, and without feeling guilty or like they're just basically imprisoned by their relationship to food. So all the work I do is super like emotional and inner work. And it's a journey that I myself have gone through and is really personal to me. So that is how I got into it. That's awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your own personal journey and what really inspired you to, to work in this line of work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have, I just have like a long story, so I'll I'll try not to go into all of it, but I've, I've always struggled, 
um, in my relationship to food. So when I was like a young kid, I was always just super emotional, a big feeler, like an empath. I, I had the big family and I kind of just took on all of the emotions and was always so in touch with how other people felt that it made me feel super out of control. So I definitely really early on food became this way of feeling in control and feeling comforted. And I just loved food. It was almost this just like really emotional, soothing thing. Um, and then I became introduced into the ballet world when I was 11. And so when I entered the ballet world, I quickly became obsessed with my body image and my weight. And it kind of just, it was almost a new manifestation of the preoccupation with food that I had had and controlling my body, controlling what I ate, just almost was like another way of soothing that feeling of being out of control or when I would have big emotions or um, it just helped me kind of feel not anxious in my life. I always felt very anxious. And um, so over time, I, I was in the ballet world from the age of 11 until the age of 18. I left home at 16 and uh, moved away from my family and was dancing full time. And basically, I went through so many of these ups and downs of just restricting, seeing if I could stay on top of my weight, losing weight. And then I would always kind of hit this breaking point where I would just binge eat or feel fall out of control. And I had been through that back and forth of gaining weight and losing weight so many times that it was just like one time too many. Um, and I decided to leave the ballet world when I was 18. So I quit, went to college. Um, and from there, the issue really continued because I didn't do any work on it. I just thought leaving the ballet world would solve it. And kind of just hit another breaking point a few years later. I know Jen can probably relate to this. There's so many like ups and downs in the, the food journey. But um, I finally started working with a therapist. I did a lot of yoga, meditation trainings, a lot of work on myself. I went through a coaching program and kind of through a big storm and combination of things um, arrived at where I am today. And it's always just been a passion of mine. And I just really want, I always wanted to help people in some way. And it just seemed like this was the issue that I had the most experience with and that I could serve best in. So that's kind of how I ended up coaching people in this thing. That's amazing. I think when you go through something personally and you feel such an attachment to it, you really want to help other people to never feel the way that you felt. And that's definitely why I think a lot of people who've struggled with eating and food in one way or another tend to move towards that line of work definitely yeah when you know like a certain kind of pain and that there's something that you can do to alleviate that for other people I I feel that a lot of people who have had their own sort of struggles and once they get to a healthy enough point I think a lot of people go in that direction and I love how powerful that is and just how like you know group connection-y what is the word? I like, <laughs> Group I connection. I it's a real good English. Like, I don't know. It's just like a team effort, you know? Yeah, for sure. We're all sure. here for each other. It's very not individualistic. It's it's really nice to hear that kind of stuff coming from people who have um, been through things like yourself that want to, you know, use your pain and your struggles and what you've learned through that to uplift others. Yeah, I think like once you're more open about the things that have happened to you too, you recognize you're not alone and it's happened to so many other people and which is honestly like kind of heartbreaking, but you know, it makes you feel a little less alone, which is nice. 
So how long have you been coaching? So I've been coaching for a little over a year. The entire time that I was coaching, I wasn't working with people who struggled with food and body before. My background is in something called Ayurveda, which is like holistic. It's ancient Indian medicine. It's similar to Chinese medicine. So for, for the first half of the year, I was just kind of general helping people with health and lifestyle. And in doing that, I realized like telling people how to live a healthy lifestyle, what to eat, what oils to use, what, you know, spices to use is like great. But I realized, you know, for me, that was always like a superficial layer of the problem. Like no matter what I fixed in my diet, the issue wasn't that my diet wasn't healthy. It was that I would either go too controlling with it and too overboard or just for six months, not give an F and just like do whatever I wanted. So that was the issue. It was more of the underlying issue. So I kind of made a pivot and decided to focus more on, on the actual, like how, what I see is the root of the problem, which is for a lot of people, which is the food issues. So kind of like branching off a little bit separately from that, how, like, how was it at 18? Cause I feel like that's pretty young to like make the decision to quit dancing. And obviously at that point in your life, like it was such a huge part of your life. Like, how did you come to that decision and how was it making that choice? It was, it was honestly a really, really hard time. And I think that with a lot of these like transitions for people, <laughs> um, sometimes I think we get pushed to a point where we can't go on in a certain direction. And that's why we make the change. And that's kind of what happened to me. So um, I had, like I said, gone through so many phases of losing weight and gaining weight. And in that process, I stopped menstruating. So I hadn't gotten my period for like a couple of years, like a long time. And I just kind of had this moment where I just realized, I don't know if it was like the summer before my last year dancing. And I went, I actually went to see a nutritionist because I was like, okay, something is wrong. I knew, like, I knew I was not in a good place, that I couldn't keep going the way I was going. And I just realized, like, holy crap, like, I haven't gotten my period in years. Like, what if this becomes permanent? And I think it was that just physical, like, wake up call of like, something is really wrong. And this, this could really affect my life. And that really scared me. So, um, that was a big part of it. And then just honestly being fed up with the ballet world. And it wasn't only me, but I watched like several of my closest friends go through such similar um, circumstances. And it's weird because watching them go through it was almost worse. Like, yeah, I couldn't, I hated seeing them go through this, even though I was going through it too. And it just horrified me, like almost seeing it in someone else made me realize how effed up. I don't know if I can curse on here. I'm sorry. Yeah, you can. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just how fucked up the ballet world was. And so it was all those things that just made me be like, I can't, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. I think that's like part of the, the empath in you too, right? Like seeing it in other people makes you feel a lot worse than in your Yeah. <laughs> so much. Totally. <laughs> also just like so much easier I feel like whenever I see my friends going through a hard time it's way easier to give advice than oh for sure advice. yeah great advice yeah same but, don't yeah no I don't take my own advice but I will give you great advice <laughs> yes. yes it was exactly like that do you mind touching like a little bit more about the ballet world like that's super foreign to me so yeah I'm same curious, I've heard like, like what's like going on in there it'd be nice to get a little insight into that yeah so 
Oh, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> just even, okay. I'm not going to say that it's just point blank, like across the board bad because I still have a lot of friends that are in the dance world who are mm -hmm. thriving. And like, I just think uh, my experience and many people I know's experience was bad, but basically I think, you know, I went in at such a young age um, and had these ballet teachers who most of my negative experiences were with men. I'm just, I'm not saying it's, it's only men. That's just my experience, but who were just bullies. Like they just, I don't know if they're on a power trip or, or what's going on, but the type of things you can say, like I was told, you know, that my butt was too big, literally like <laughs> walking by, like just poking my butt being like, what is this sticking out? Like, what's this thing? Or, you know, coming back from Thanksgiving break, like just four days with my family and being told like, did you eat too much pie? Like you look like you gained weight or, you know, just these terrible comments. Or if you're not in the studio for eight hours a day or staying extra, or, you know, when you're waiting on the side and it's not your turn to dance, if you're not, you know, exercising more on the side and practicing on the side, it's like, you're, there's something wrong with you. And I just, I don't know why that is. I think, you know, the ballet, being a ballet dancer is, you do have to be so disciplined and it's so technical. And, and I mean, you're staring at mirrors all day long, just criticizing your body and that's your job because it is so hard, but I don't, the people who were like in positions of, of power or not power, but the teachers and the authority figures, I feel just were really not healthy um, in my experience. And that really messed up my self-worth and my self-esteem and just being told like, oh, you need to lose weight. But then I would lose weight and they would like pretend to be concerned and be like, oh, you need to gain weight. But it's like, you told me to lose weight. Like what? And then being told like your frame can't handle gaining more weight. Like just it was a big, big gaslight. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think like when you actually like think about it in detail and reflect on it, it's like, holy fuck, like what was I involved in? Yeah. And like it's just it's not I think that's really like I don't even I'm like kind of speechless yeah that's you know? wild that that kind of sounds like the environment that would very I mean obviously it sounds toxic so naturally it would breed a lot of unhealthy behaviors and toxicity within yourself if that's all you're hearing and like that's how you spend your entire day you would have to be like the most mentally strong person to ever exist to be able to get through that without developing yes. some sort of issue yeah. yes yeah, that's exactly how I think, like the people who I know are successful, I feel in, and this is just my own view, I have no idea if this is true or not, but in the ballet world are not even necessarily the most talented dancers always, of course, those dancers are very successful, but the ones who can survive in that, because mm -hmm. coming in, I was 11 when I came in, very sensitive child, like very, did not have good self-esteem to begin with, very like already self-critical of myself. So then to throw an 11 year old into an environment where you're then being told off the bat, like you're being indoctrinated with this type of self-worth beliefs and just in this environment, that's not a good recipe. And that's what breaks my heart thinking back is just like being so young and thinking that that was okay just because you're so young. And that's what really gets me is that there's no like accountability for these teachers or authority figures to like, I don't know, no one's, you know, no one is overseeing the way they treat or these conversations that happen. Like, you're so young at that point that you're still, like, becoming a person. That's, wow, I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah. I just, I also, like, can't believe that people are like that in general and just say those things without 
any regard for it. You know, they're just like it's. They don't even think about it. An eleven-year-old. I know. Like yeah. Like that whole time, like that entire experience, you were a minor until you left. Yeah. And just a growing teenager whose body's changing just because puberty. Yeah. Wow. I think that's a huge thing about like just women in general. Like we're not taught about how much our bodies change as we grow up and Mm. then when it happens to us we're like oh my god something's wrong with me but in reality it's fucking normal that's exactly what's supposed to be happening yeah and like that's something I struggled with too is like I started to gain all this weight and I was like what's happening um puberty's happening honey but like I didn't know so uh I just went with like what society was telling me Mm. you know yeah what you need to be so totally and like in the ballet world, something that I've heard uh, and just is kind of true is that it's been so, the ballet world has always been kind of led by a lot of gay men. And so the ideal body is almost like a prepubescent boy, like a adolescent boy is how, is really good to look that way. So like narrow hips, no, you know, no boobs, no butt, like just narrow, like a young boy, like a young boy. And I know it's kind of weird saying that, but that's just kind of the look. And so obviously that's completely counter to a woman's body and especially a woman who's gone through her period. So trying to maintain that is just, you're fighting your body's natural tendencies. And yeah, that was absolutely, when I left the ballet world and I went to college and I had a total shift in lifestyle, it was like, oh my God, it was a whole new world. I was like, my body totally changed. It was so uncomfortable because I had never really allowed it to fully like go through that, those changes. Yeah, I think when you go into a new world too and you see all, uh, there's other bodies out there. Like not everyone is a ballet dancer or looks like a ballet dancer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) there's some other people out there. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, crazy just leaving that mindset and especially seeing my friends just really showed me clearly because I would look at my friends you know from the ballet studio and then to going out into the world going out to eat or hang out with friends seeing them in the world I'd be like you are still the most thin people that I've that are even that are in this room and how is that not how is your body too big like for the ballet world but yet when you're in the normal world you know, people would still probably be like, girl, you need to gain some weight. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just yeah. such a different universe, basically. Yeah, it is a whole different universe, truly. That really, like, blocks out so many people from being able to, like, even participate in that. Yeah, sort of it's so exclusive, like, not inclusive at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you hit a certain age, yeah, unless you're, like, super restricted, like, your body's just not going to be able to do that and you're dancing so you're developing like leg muscle which means you're going to develop glute muscles yeah so you're also just going to like start getting a butt from the fact that you're a dancer (laughs) oh yeah I just remember like ridiculous things like you know you're taught to hold your body in a way so that you're developing the muscle but not in a way that it would get big so don't you know don't put your butt this way because you don't want that butt muscle to pop out you actually want it to be not as big so it's it's fucking crazy (laughs) that's like this opposite of the fitness industry right now I know how to build a booty (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I guess we'll like kind of like switch back to the work that you do but thank you for providing that insight on the ballet industry and kind of like the experiences that led you to leaving 
And honestly, like, I can't say that I'm surprised that so many people Mm. have such negative experiences and end up having issues with their relationship with food and exercise after that, because that's such an unhealthy environment to grow up in. So, I mean, good for you for leaving when you did. I can imagine that that would be like a really difficult decision. Yeah, yeah, it it really was. Just, I mean, just because of how indoctrinating it was and being 11, getting into it, like leaving was, it was such an identity change and just all tied into the food issues. I really see like self-worth to be so attached to food issues. And clearly my self-worth had always been dependent on my body size. And so leaving that was just scary because in a way it was taking away this, this means of feeling worthy as a person, if that makes sense. And once I kind of went to college, I had to kind of realize like, dang, I still like my self-worth is terrible. How am I going to, I mean, I didn't even have this language at the time, but I just struggled after that because I kept trying to lose weight or battle my body as I went through college because it had always, that had always been how I had known to feel worthy as a person. So, but yeah, it was a crazy journey. Yeah. And I'm sure you like, it was basically a part of your identity at that point too, because it was with you for so long that, you know, trying to find yourself outside of the ballet world is probably a whole new experience too. But I, I know for me, like going away to uh, university was helpful in kind of giving me a little bit of a fresh start. Did you find that that was like a helpful transition point for you? I think it was just because I was so lucky in a way. I left the ballet world when I was 18. So I was, went to college right as I had would have, even though I, I never planned on going to college. It was not part of the plan. It was a very last minute decision. But going did give me the opportunity to just rediscover who I was, be around people who I didn't go to high school with, just in a totally new environment. So I do think that it definitely was a clean slate. Um, came with a whole new set of challenges, but absolutely was a blessing because it it gave me a place to rediscover who I was outside of the ballet world. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. What did you end up going to college for? I, I went in as like an English major with the intention of switching to film, which is really Ooh. looking back because <laughs> I didn't do that at all. And then, so I kind of, spent a year undecided. And then I actually ended up studying interdisciplinary studies. So I made up my own major at, at our college. We had this program where you could put together your own curriculum if you Ooh. got it passed or whatever, got approval. So the title of my focus area was human spirituality and well-being. So kind of like instantly, I had this like natural draw to where I am now. I like was so interested in the mind body connection. So I took a ton of classes on like health psychology, stress psychology, anthropology, and religion. So really just looking at like people's experience of spirituality and then psychology and even their experience of like illness. So I kind of, yeah, I really wanted to study. Obviously I was trying to go for like holistic health, but um, so yeah, it was called human spirituality and well-being. <laughs> that's so cool that's awesome I like that they like let you make your own kind of yeah, program that's sweet I wish we had that 
I know it was it was such a like blessing just because I I I was not I think coming from a life of so much independence like I moved away from home when I was 16 I was living with people who were like 21 22 23 24 25 like just having this totally different life and then coming into college it that part of it was a really hard transition just because mm-hmm. everyone my age was like Woo, we're, we're away from home for the first time like let's get yeah. wasted it's like what is going on right now like I've been <laughs> you know not working full-time but like dancing full-time like just living this I, very self-disciplined life like whatever and so I really liked that I was able to kind of create like a an area of study that worked for me and that I really liked Can you tell me a little bit about like how working with clients has affected you? Like, have you found that to be triggering at all or have you found it to be like an empowering experience since you're working with people who have had, you know, such similar issues to what you've been through yourself? Oh, that's such a good question. I, before I got into this particular topic with people, I was definitely nervous about that. And it's really interesting. I like shied away from it, like for the first six months of having being a coach, I was like, I'm not touching this with people. Like, I don't want to ever talk about this with people. And when I kind of realized, and I had like a light bulb moment that was like, this is exactly what you should be helping people with. And at first I was really afraid of getting triggered, but I think that it's interesting. I don't work with people who are like in the like depths of an eating disorder. I don't work with people who like are really struggling with an eating disorder or kind of like in that dark worst time ever. I work with people who are, it's almost how I see it, like the final phases of recovery. And like you, you all um, talked about this with in Jen's episodes of how like not learning how to just not have symptoms and survive, but like really learning how to live. And I help people more with the like helping them deal with kind of, I see it as like the final frontier, like the things that are these like really um, evasive, uh, low level symptoms like body image stuff. And like people who aren't in the depths, what I'm saying is I don't work with people who are struggling to a degree that would trigger me because they're not any behaviors that I'm like, oh God. Um, And I think also it, it is so empowering more than anything. Like my clients don't know this, but they're, time with me helps me so much because I love I get so much fulfillment it's probably that empath side coming out but of just watching them go through it and it is validating and empowering in a way because I know it, it's just such a gift to be able to like be with someone in that moment when it matters so much and I think just I wish that I had had that so much that it's almost like I love getting to be with them through that and I don't know, just give them that validation and, and guidance. Yeah, for sure. That's I, amazing. I can really tell, like, when you talk about it, just, like, the way your voice came through there. Like, <laughs> you, can, you can, like, just, like, tell that, like, you care about it so much. And mm-hmm. it, oh my God. It, it, like, lifts you up. Like, it's just so obvious in how you talk about it. So uh, in case oh you ever God. doubted it, clearly you're <laughs> in the right line of work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That, that honestly means a lot to me because I do doubt it. Like, I don't doubt that I'm in the right line of work but being a being a business owner is just an entrepreneur I never this side of it the coaching side I clearly love I'm clearly very passionate about but the running a business side and the actually like all the stuff on the back end that it takes to make it work 
I struggle hardcore with, I'm just not even going to lie. Like, so sometimes getting through that, I have to just focus on the passion. So hearing you say that just is really affirming. <laughs> so thank you. Well, you're welcome. I, I definitely know that the backside of being an entrepreneur is stressful. Um, I'm trying to get into that kind of world a little bit myself, less so now that there's a pandemic and <laughs> working in events is kind of like not so much a thing. But mm. <laughs> before that was happening, that was kind of the goal for the year. So I know that that is definitely really hard and imposter syndrome is so yes. fucking oh real. My God. Um, but yeah, you're definitely like doing the right thing and you're, you're good at the part and passionate about the part that matters. And, you know, the back end stuff is like the fuel. Yeah. It's yeah. a complicated part, but you know, when you got the passion, the rest of it, somehow it figures itself out, you know, you'll make totally. it work. Totally. The passion is like the fuel for getting through all the, the hard stuff. The that yeah. <laughs> it's like the gas in the car and the car is like, you know, you need to do maintenance on your car. I don't know how to change my oil or anything like that, but I like how you're using a car <laughs> metaphor right now and you know nothing about cars. <laughs> I said fuel and that kind of just led me down that path, you know, <laughs> she tried. No, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I really want to hear about how, you know, people pleasing and being an empath um, can affect your relationship with food because that just, it's so interesting to me, especially because our last episode was people pleasing. Yeah, it's right on topic for us right now. Oh my gosh, okay. This is this is one of my favorite soapboxes. <laughs> um, so, so I'm going to share like a story that happened to me recently where this, this is just one like microcosm of how this happened. So I, I was dealing with a person and they were asking me to hang out with them. This is, I'm going to keep it vague, obviously, because I'm not yeah. going to share yeah. any, but it was one of those moments where like, you can either set a boundary and you can, you hear the answer from deep within, like hell freaking no, I don't want to do this thing. This person asked me to do like, this is not okay with me. I don't want to. And it's like a very clear ping from your system or your intuition. And then your brain instantly is like, no, we're not going to say that. We're not going to speak up. We're going to bury this. We're going to push it down. And so I was in that moment where I was like, I have a choice here. I can either, you know, speak up, say no, set a boundary, or I can not because it's going to make me uncomfortable. It's probably going to make this person uncomfortable. And being an empath, I can't make someone else uncomfortable because I then feel responsible for their response to me. So I stuffed it down. And later that night, it was like that night or the next day I was eating ice cream with my boyfriend. And this is like, we always do like we eat ice cream all the time. We were watching TV and I was eating this ice cream and it was literally like in real time. I, I heard this inner monologue start. I was like, Oh my God, you're going to get cavities from this. Like you are poisoning your system. Like how long can we go eating ice cream like this? Like, this is not okay. It's not acceptable. We, you can't be doing that. And it was like this crazy voice inside. And in that moment, I was like, okay, this is not, I know something is going on. Why are you freaking out? And I, I started to get upset at him. And I was like, we can't be eating ice cream like this. Why don't we ever eat what I want? Why don't, you know, I don't want to be even eating this. So then I realized, I hope this makes sense. But then I realized shortly after I was like, okay, wow, I feel completely out of control right now because I'm going through a situation in my life in this relationship where not my one with my boyfriend, but the, the first one I described mm -hmm. where I am not setting the boundaries that I need to set. And I, because of that, I have all of this 
suppress anxiety, feeling out of control, feeling angry and frustrated. And instead of, you know, expressing that in the appropriate outlet, which would be setting a healthy boundary with this person, I am now become, I have become hyper controlling with food. And so that was just one microcosm of like my entire life. And it, I noticed it so vividly is because it's not something I, I generally experience anymore. And so it was so stark, but basically it was just this like, when you do not speak up in your relationships and you're constantly bearing how you really feel being a people pleaser, you know, making sure everyone else is fine before you're fine, you know, making your, your main priority is just people have to like me, they have to be okay, if my, if someone's not okay, that I can't be okay. That creates an inner state of complete chaos and complete inner turmoil. And we gotta find a way as humans, we're always gonna have to find a way to keep that um, suppressed, to keep that in control, because, you know, that just doesn't go anywhere, that energy is gonna come out somewhere. And so for me, that always came out um, in my relationship to food. And it was just a symptom of this, this inner chaos of people pleasing. Does that make sense? I know that's a roundabout yeah, story. No, it really did. That's, that's so interesting. And like, good on you for being able to recognize that in yourself and being so self-aware. Like, I think that's, that shows like a lot of progress in yourself. Cause I'm sure in the past, if something like that had happened, you kind of would have just run with the, the thoughts and gone down a bit of a rabbit hole. Totally. And, and I, it was it was a crazy moment because I had I've always known that I've used food to suppress my emotions and to keep myself to feel a sense of control. But I didn't ever understand what I was trying to get a sense of control over or why I felt out of control. And it really came to light that this 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 people pleasing, which my entire life just being like an empath, being a huge people pleaser, just super codependent. It created, I always had to maintain this sense of, you know, balancing control in my outer environment. And my way of doing that was just to control food. Because if I could control food, it was like, I could put push down all of the uncomfortable emotions that other, pe other people not feeling okay, or having to deal with conflict or whatever, would cause me to feel just being so like, I have a type of system where if someone walks into the room and is like in a bad mood that day, I it like pains my system. I'm like, what's going on? There's an energy change. Like, and that is so much to manage. Like anyone who experiences that out there, like <laughs> I just have so much compassion because you're constantly like when you are a hypersensitive person, every day you walk outside of the house, something triggers you. Like every day you walk into a store, something triggers you. And <laughs> that's so much to to navigate that. You know, for me, it was just, well, I'll just control food. That that would make me at least feel a sense of agency, a sense of just being good, just being, like, on lock, if that makes sense. That's such, like, an interesting, like, as somebody, um, I mean, as you know from listening to the podcast, <laughs> I'm the one who has a complete disconnect with, like, unhealthy relationships with food. I'm very out of that space. Um, so it's really interesting to hear, like, how connected like to control it is and just like the people pleasing and being an empath and so connected to other people's emotions and energies and how they view you and feel about you is so different than like 
eating and food, but it's so interesting to have that connection of like when you feel out of control in that environment, you turn to, you know, using food as what you can control. And I've always heard that eating disorders like at the root and issues with food a lot of the time, like they might start out as a body issue thing, but then like over time it becomes like almost like a coping mechanism and not one of the good ones, but like if you're out of control in another area, then at least you can control this certain aspect of your life. So it's really interesting how that like comes to fruition for you. And I'm sure um, anyone else who's listening that has similar issues is really going to connect with that. Mm, Totally. And it's so interesting. You're right. that they seem so disconnected and that was always my frustration just when I was going through recovery and trying to get help because I was like, this just doesn't make sense. I'm a person that needs to connect all the dots and like have a bigger picture. I need to know why. And that's probably not always a good thing about me, but I, I like drilling things down and there was just never an explanation. Like when people would be like, Oh, you have anxiety. Oh, you're depressed. Oh, you have an eating disorder. I would just be like, okay, but like, did this just drop out of the sky on me? And it, it wasn't until I started to like really unpack all of these relationship dynamics and, you know, my nervous system, how I interacted with other people in the world that it really made sense in a way that I could be like, oh, by setting boundaries. And this is something I see with my clients. Like I had a client who came, like we had a session and she was like, you know, I had a really rough couple of days and I ended up having a binge and I was just in a funk and whatever. And I was like, we were talking more about it. And I said, Oh, like she also had stuff going on with family. And so I asked her, was there anything that happened like leading up to this, do you think? And she hadn't even realized, but then realized that there was, you know, something someone else had said where she, it was such a violation of boundaries that she did make her really frustrated, but because we're so used to, you know, as people pleasers, it's not acceptable to, have you know not not be angry or attack someone but to say hey like this isn't okay with me it's not okay with me for you to just text me x y and z every other day you know it's 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 so intolerable for us empaths and people pleasers to to say that that we just push it down and that anger becomes you know which is first a violation and first frustration of like let me set this boundary that anger then becomes numbness we become numb to our feelings because we have deemed them and judged them as unacceptable and then we find ourselves in our bed with a tub of ben and jerry's for 24 hours and like wonder what's going on yeah i think it becomes such an automatic reaction too for a lot of people that they don't even recognize that it's happening or why it's happening so really breaking it down and kind of dialing in on okay yes you binged or whatever but what else happened that day that may have influenced you in one way or in another totally because you know I think in like our society too we like to see things as individual parts we like to see like oh you have a broken arm here's a cast you have a you want to lose weight here's a diet pill you want to like dye your hair here's hair dye but we don't see like the whole connection between everything. And I think that is a lens and perspective that we have to actively pursue. And it's just, it blows my mind that we're not taught this like basic emotional awareness and self-awareness growing up. And that it's, it's almost bizarre to like learn that connection when to me, I feel like 
it makes perfect sense. And it, that t like when you apply that lens of seeing everything is interconnected and how your thoughts and your emotions and your actions are all impacting one another, it, everything just clicked. That was deep. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's so, it is deep. It, it's, it goes deep and I, I can, obviously I love this stuff. I could talk about all day long, but, um, I, I'll give one other example just because I think it's like interesting, but with relationships, because going back to that food issues being something that we control, when I started dating my boyfriend like over a year ago, I had been just like feeling really good with my food and body stuff. It was not, you know, it was not on my horizon. I was just feeling really good. We started dating and all of a sudden I noticed this need to control come back and after like noticing it repeatedly and like luckily I have tools where I can catch this stuff pretty early but I started to realize how it was a, a result of once again that people pleasing in relationship feeling like when I'm always giving or I'm always compromising what I really want to say or I feel like I have to almost fit into a particular dynamic and this is happening to us all the time as humans that need to control is going to rise inside of myself so it's just that's just another example of how like the inner the inner world and the outer world are always going to like work to find an equilibrium. Yeah, dude, you're like blowing my mind. <laughs> like, you're like, blowing my mind right now. I'm like, oh, God, do I do this? Like, <laughs> though, like what I struggle with is very different. Um, I've like recently gotten into like the probably the healthiest relationship I've ever had in my life. So looking back onto past relationships and the things that I would start doing and the ways that I would start feeling when I was dating somebody because. Like, I would be so good when I was single. I was just like, I'm living my best life. My brain is so healthy. Mm. It's so good. And then as soon as I would start dating somebody, I would start having more anxiety, more panic attacks. Like, mine doesn't come out through food. I don't know mm -hmm. if there's really like a specific outlet that it gets targeted to, but I definitely experience, like, more of that unrest and lack of control. And change is always something difficult for me. So I just have emotional outbursts. <laughs> <laughs> but realizing, like, that it comes like when I haven't been able to like be my full self and mm. like been compromising and in ways that like I don't want to in past relationships. And I've kind of like realized sooner in some of those relationships and Jen can attest to this, that in the last like year and a half of my life, like I've noticed when relationships have not been healthy much quicker. And now that I'm like in a healthy one, I'm like, wow, man, I was treated like real garbage before. <laughs> Who was that person? So it's interesting that like, you know, you have to kind of, when you have any kind of like mental health issue, whether it's like me, like PTSD or some sort of, you know, issue with food or an eating disorder, recovery and like handling that is like a constant learning experience because oh, sure. you learn how to recover and you learn how to deal in like one aspect of your being, like say like out of a relationship and then at some point you're probably going to introduce a relationship into that space and then that's yeah. going to throw new things at you and different challenges that you haven't had to face before and then suddenly you're going to be like whoa what the hell like I thought I was totally fine why am I suddenly having all these issues again and then you have to like work with yourself and in this situation now your partner too like what those issues are and how to get through them and I, I don't no one ever oh, teaches yeah. how to do that <laughs> yeah oh Wow. Yeah. I think too, like, cause I've obviously been doing 
recovery a little more recently. Um, but like I've been doing a lot better as of late, but there's like a whole new dynamic that's brought in when there's another person in the picture who you're either like interested in or trying to like get to know better and like realizing how that people pleasing tendency comes in. And I've noticed like I've been struggling more with like my anxiety and like restrictive tendencies are coming back up because I'm more focused on like trying to please the other people and like getting back into the whole like dating world and whatnot. So it's really interesting how that whole other side of yourself can kind of bring back some of those habits and tendencies and you kind of have to learn how to deal with them in another yeah a different phase of your life exactly totally oh my god when I when I got into this relationship which I'm still in it's the most healthy amazing relationship it's not anything in the relationship but it brings up you know I had the same experience of just oh I need to maybe restrict a little or I need to be more on top of quote unquote it's like okay we we know what this means but yeah um and it's so interesting too I think the parallel of like taking care of other people or being concerned with other people's emotions and getting smaller. Like I need Mm -hmm. to physically inhabit less space so that this person can have more space. Like what, that's so interesting to me because that was always me and my family was like, if I can have less emotions, have less problems, have like take up less space in this weird way. I wasn't literally that like oh if I'm thinner it will make everything better but if I can have less problems or less going on with me it will somehow just quell whatever's going on outside of me and I think too it comes back to self-worth because it's almost like in order to be you know I think about being seen when you're in a partnership there's this element of intimacy of you're being deeply seen all your shit that you haven't dealt with all your weird tendencies all your weird eating stuff you do like that's going to be under the magnifying glass of another person and so if I can almost like lock it down restrict if I can be more quote-unquote on top of things that's what my brain always says um like then I'll be like, I'll be good enough. I'll look good enough. I'll somehow, I'll be able to be seen by this other person and and feel good enough. And I think um, that's another huge, huge part of it is just like that intimacy and, um, and feeling good enough because I think we all want to be seen. We all crave intimacy. We want to be in these amazing relationships where we feel so connected and so close, but we secretly don't feel good enough of that. And so having to come to the table with all of your shit and all of your parts of yourself that you actually think are really ugly that you don't want to be seen is that's a whole other challenge to be able to trust someone else enough to witness every part of you and every facet of you and not, not abandon you. And I think we have to have done that for ourselves. We have to have witnessed become willing to offer compassion and accept all parts of ourselves without abandoning ourselves in order to then receive that from a partner. No, 100%. (laughs) Like, I think it's so easy to tell ourselves that, like, when we get involved with someone else or when we meet someone new, even if it's just, like, platonically, like, just friendship, it's like, oh, my God, like, I can either explain my whole life (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, go back to what I was doing before, make things a little easier, hide it all under the bed. And it's, like, we tell ourselves it's easier, but it's really not. And really ultimately being open and 
being honest with who you are, what you've been through, and what you need is going to give you the most fulfilling life. Totally. But it also is the most risk of vulnerability. Oh, for sure. Because you're going to say, like, oh, you know, I need to cry right now. (laughs) I'm freaking out about this ice cream at you that you didn't do anything. Like, why is she freaking that out over here? It's some ice cream. We do this all the time. It has nothing to do with him. And then to be like, to be able to come back to that and be like, okay, so this is what's going on. I yeah. just need X, Y, and Z. That is like, my, to now having that, it's mind blowing because like, I just wish we were taught, oh, here's how you handle an emotion when it comes up. Here's how you communicate to your partner that you are going through this. Like, here's how you then take the time to go process it, sit with it, come back and use I statements to communicate. It's just so funny. Yeah. I think I've gone through enough of like my own healing process that I believe in like full honesty with my partners and just, you know, people in life. I'm pretty unapologetic for my shit, but I also still struggle so much with like being able to like communicate about it and ask for help that Hmm. I already know that in this relationship, I'm going to be a hot mess trying to figure that out because nobody, for real though, nobody teaches you that. Hmm. I have a very, like, my parents still married in a very healthy relationship. Like, I see them communicate through things very well all the time. And yet I'm still here starting a relationship. And I'm like, how do I do that? Like, yeah. what are the, what is the skill set? I feel like this should be taught in school. And the thing is, too, like, you are so much better at it than a lot of people are. Because you've taught me so much about being able to communicate honestly no like I used to like I used to be like oh I don't want to go on this date or like I'm too anxious I'm just gonna make up a lie and Aaron's like no just fucking tell them what's happening and I'm like I guess I could do that like what is that what is being honest and telling the truth right oh my god that oh yesterday we were my boyfriend and I went shopping and he he was like he, we went to the mall. This is really random, but it'll make sense. And there was this Britney Spears t-shirt. I'm obsessed with Britney Spears. And he was like, oh, I'm getting for this for you. And I instantly was like, inside, I was literally having a panic attack because I felt so guilty. Like, I was like, there's no way I'm letting you get this for me. Like, I just felt so bad. And I think for some reason, it's like so many of us, we're so uncomfortable, like receiving help or just receiving a gift or just receiving like something without giving something in exchange. And mm-hmm. I think... I don't know. I just think, and I had to consciously be like, okay, it is safe to receive. Like we have to rewire how we respond to these things and consciously, you know, quote unquote, walk through the fire of doing something we've never done before. And in that moment, you know, so insignificant, just getting a t-shirt, but shutting up being like, okay, I'm going to shut up right now. Yes. I feel totally guilty. That's not nothing to do with him. I'm not going to force him to go put this back. I'm going to, you know, tell myself, okay, this is going to be really uncomfortable letting him get you this t-shirt, but let's just shut up and go through this experience. And then hopefully on the other side, you'll realize that it was safe, that he's not going to throw that, like, uh, what's it called? Throw this back at you later or make you feel guilty about it. Like this is a like safe thing to experience is receiving and just stepping in that role, like surrender. I think it's, it's hard to let go, you know, once again, with food issues, with any type of control issue, letting go and letting someone else help you is just, again, so vulnerable mm-hmm. and so hard. I'm seeing a lot of connection, like with some of the things that we're talking about, especially like in terms of relationships, like wanting to make ourselves smaller or like more palatable for a person. And I'm seeing a connection between like the societal and I mean, less so now, but I feel like it's still so deeply ingrained in like our world and like 
the relationships that we see um, like in media and that we've grown up around, like our parents and our grandparents and stuff, like the expectations on women and just like we're still navigating through like so much of like women are the caregivers caregivers and you're mm. you're meant to like be like make yourself desirable and lovable so I'm seeing a lot of connection from like that aspect that's like kind of put on us even though we're like working away from it but there's still a lot of unpacking there to do so I think we get so much of that pressure as well and obviously like the three of us here are women so like we don't really know the aspect and the perspective from men so you know they might also feel that but I feel like there's like this expectation to make yourself fit because as a woman you're a major part of like your value at least what is told to you is that you know you're desirable to your partner and that somebody wants you and like wants to make a life with you Mm -hmm. so I feel like that gets like ingrained into all of those issues about like how we control ourselves and the parts of us that we're like willing to let show and the things that we want to change to like serve this other person because back in the 1950s like (laughs) that's what it meant to be a woman in a relationship was to literally serve and uplift this man so he could go into the work world and bring home money and like have his children so he would live on and (laughs) but yeah and I think too like the years that we grew up in like the early 2000s very weird in media in terms first of all the fashion was fucking horrendous (laughs) but also like the thin ideal and the kind of like woman being put down and like quiet and taking a back seat and I think obviously like you were saying like now a lot of that is changing and I I think that's amazing but we were rather young when those were the ideals and those are kind of the things that are still ingrained inside of us despite all of the changes that we're working to make yeah and there's still so much of it in the world yeah all of those older generations that like actually lived like that as young people and weren't going through these like major times of change and in gender roles and gender fluidity and you know you can kind of be whatever you want like we're not that far disconnected Mm -hmm. from it so those attitudes are still so deeply ingrained in the world that we exist in despite all like the strides that we're making there's there's just so much resistance to it because it really like was not that long ago like we still have so many people on this earth that like lived through that or are still living in that version of the world so it makes so much sense like in my brain especially like as a women's studies and gender major like seeing those connections to like the things that like fuck us up and make us feel like we have to be a certain way it's just very (laughs) all-encompassing yeah oh my god this is such a good conversation but we uh, my boyfriend and I were listening to this podcast and I believe it was an evolutionary biologist. And he was saying how like women are a little bit more wired towards being self-sacrificing because we, ha- to make us better able to care give, like to take care of an infant, you, there has to be a level of self-sacrificing mm-hmm. that just like is a natural tendency and how, but that's not helpful at all. It's helpful for child rearing, but it's not helpful for like being in a workplace or like, starting your own business or negotiating a salary. And so like, we have to overcome that women, you know, I don't there, I know there are some biological things, but just tendencies being socialized to like be more flexible and to be more self-sacrificing and to be more service oriented and towards the collective. And it, it does feel like an absolute 
it's part of me. Like I can't even imagine. We have a friend who just, if he feels some type of way, you're going to know it immediately. Like he, he doesn't hold back. If he doesn't want to do something, he just says it. And to me, that's like a foreign concept. I'm like, well, I can just say that I don't want to do it or right. this isn't okay with me. Like, uh, no, I need to go journal for three days, talk to 12 <laughs> friends, give myself a pep talk, and then I will tell you how I feel, okay? <laughs> so it's just so funny. But No, like, 100% though. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting how, how that is. But And like back to the early 2000s, like it's crazy how not far off, got to tie Britney Spears into this, but like and how she was treated by the the paparazzi in the late 1990 or what is it 1990s her sexual her virginity was a public topic like what whether or not she had had sex was a question that was regularly asked her in interviews like how is that okay like just the way that women have been i don't know uh, regarded by the media and by this this culture that we live in is just like absurd and it's crazy how not far off we are from that and so if I were to tell any of this to my grandma, I feel like she wouldn't even know what I was saying. Like it would just blow her mind beyond comprehension. So I think we're doing good though for where we're at. Like it's pretty cool that we're like having this conversation given how not far removed we are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. On a side note, if uh, that, I'm, Britney Spears, poor Britney Spears, man. Yeah. Yeah. She's gone time. through a lot, man. But, like, that, like, note on her, like, virginity and how, like, the public was obsessed with it kind of reminds me of, like, one of the first, like, um, like feminist literature books I read. It's called The Purity Myth, and it's by mm. Jessica Valenti, who's also one of my favorite feminist authors because she, like, just gives no fucks. Um, <laughs> it, it talks all about, like, this obsession with virginity and purity and how, like, I read it so long ago, like, I think I was legitimately, like, 17 when I first read it. But it's a very interesting, like, look at how women are brought up in the eyes of, like, virginity and being pure and how society is obsessed with it and yet also, like, doesn't buy into it at the same time because you're so sexualized yeah. from the moment you hit puberty that, like, it almost, like, emphasizes the obsession with like your purity because they're like you're becoming a sexual being but also you're a child it's it's very interesting and like if that's something that interests you I would recommend you read it but I'm not giving the best synopsis of it because I think I read it <laughs> a decade ago now no but it's so true it's like why are you gonna make Britney sing the most sexualized songs that or whatever like and I love it I love her music like keep it keep it going Britney like you're hot but then you're going to be mad at her for like being having sex. Like how, how are we supposed to simultaneously be sexy and be pure? Like, I just feel like that's, you know, just another part of the body image stuff. It's like, be sexy, like have a big butt, like have big boobs, but don't be sexy. Don't be too big. Like it just all is a, a contradiction. And it's absolutely like mind boggling and impossible to navigate. As, as you're going through puberty and having a body. For sure. Wow. I feel like we could talk. We might have to have you on again. Yeah, like, definitely. I feel like we'll talk for like another hour, but we already have like an hour here recorded. So I think we should begin to wrap it up. And then we definitely, we can definitely have you on again some other time because yeah. these conversations are just so interesting. Um, and I think really important for people to have and then, you know, be able to listen to us have. So when we wrap up with a guest, as you've heard before, we ask two questions. The first one is going to be, how do you uh, live your life authentically? 
Okay, so like I said, I think I take a lot of time to to investigate my thoughts and emotions and where they're coming from. And then I do my best, which I'm not perfect at, but to live in alignment with that. So if I get a gut feeling or if I know like deep down something isn't going to be healthy for me or that, you know, I I don't want to eat ice cream or I do want to eat ice cream. I try my best to to really, I mean, this sounds so cliche, but to listen to myself and to, to speak up. And I think that that's way more underrated than we think it is and takes a lot of courage. But um, I think listening to myself, I think that's so cliche, but it's the honest truth. It sounds a lot easier than it is for sure. Yes. Easier said yeah. than done. Yeah. It sounds cliche, but like, <laughs> but it's fucking hard. <laughs> it's a lot harder than like it just sounds. <laughs> And then finally, where can people find you on social media if they want to shoot you a follow or a message? So they can find me at MindBodyHaven on Instagram. My website is also MindBodyHaven.com. That would be where. Cool. Awesome. And we'll put all of that stuff in the episode description and in the description we make on our Instagram post so that anyone listening right now, you can find it very easily. But I think that's it for us. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I know, like, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. That, it was honestly awesome. A great way to start the day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much for having me. I, I knew from listening to you all that we would have a great chat. So thank you so much for just having me on and giving me this opportunity. No, of course. And like Erin said, we will definitely reach out again because we got, I feel like we have lots more we could talk about. (laughs) Awesome. I'll be looking forward to it. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, all of those fun things. And we will catch up with you guys next week. Bye-bye.